Oh, here's here's one thing that really started everything. Back when I got my first job, I noticed the HR website had the compound interest calculator, and that really made an impression on me. Right then, I knew that 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 compound interest, how it works, and how it builds up over time. So I guess I always put money in the market since since the beginning, since I was in my twenties. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 233. Clark, what's going on in your world? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing great, man. It's uh, spring is sprung. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Best time of the year. Yeah, and man. I, we just we were chatting, but I saw an article here. It said student loan payments were extended. So they I are, guess that's yeah. good news if you're sitting on student loans, which hopefully we're all trying to pay them off. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. I guess the Easter Bunny showed up with a little early Easter basket for you all, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Easter, we also got a tax day coming up, so... You know, prepping, everyone's probably scrambling or maybe already has prepping tax returns, uh, personal returns here due what uh, April 18th there. So a lot of, a lot of interesting things going on in the, in the, in the news. I wanted to read a, a review we got the other day. Was, uh, this is by a uh, sliceaholic. This is important content alert. Eclectic is a huge strong point of millionaires unveiled. It's fascinating how so many roads traveled have helped their guests arrive at their millionaire status. It's reassuring and motivating to know that there is not just one journey you must partake in or schlep your way through the corporate world to get there. A self-employed high school graduate as my, such as myself can hope to and will be featured on this show at some point. So appreciate that sliceaholic. And, uh, you know, that's one of the great things that when Clark and I started this show was to, to, to illustrate to you, there's just not one path. I mean, I think it's very, very common in the media to, to paint this picture. And one thing that we're trying to do is highlight lots of different ways and routes and careers and career paths and mistakes that are made along the way. And, you know, I think a, a rising tide lifts all boats and that's, that's the kind of journey we're on. So. This week, we have Ine. She has a net worth of $2.9 million. She worked for a little bit and then chose to stay home with her three children and now manages their family household investments. Her husband works in, in sales. So super great episode with Ine. Super excited for that. Last week, we had James. He's a former business owner, recently retired. He had a net worth of $6.2 million spread across a very diverse group of assets. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Ine. And hey, do you want to just give us a little about your background or what you're up to now? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Aine and I am a homeschool mom of three. And um, yeah, I've been living here since 2017. And we got, I've always been a saver, but we got really intentional then. And we've been um, buying rental real estate as well as saving. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? So right now I'm looking at it, it's sitting at 2.9 something, it's almost three. I'm about 23 or so away. I use mint so I can tell exactly what it is. Yeah, so let's call it 2.9. Awesome. And how is that broken up? So right now we have, my biggest bucket is the taxable brokerage account and it has 825000 in it. Uh, some of it is in cash, so it's, mu- it's broken into mutual funds. 
as well as $180,000 sitting there in cash for our next rental purchase. We also have a cash bucket, my husband and I, of about $52,000, and that's in a bank. That's also the reserves for the rentals. In our emergency fund, we have um, total pre-tax accounts is $881,000. Roth, we have $128,000 in Roth. We have a small HSA we just started recently with 17000 We have real estate holdings totaling 895 That's not including the primary home. And we have primary home equity of 130000 and small 529s for the kids. So that's around twenty six right now. That's okay. it. Okay, awesome. So majority is in real estate and then a taxable brokerage, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, when it you know comes to the total net worth, it's about twenty eight percent on the taxable brokerage and thirty percent in real estate, not including primary. I do count my primary, but um, but yeah, real estate eight hundred ninety five. That does not include the primary home. And how much mm-hmm. do you have in equity in the primary home? My equity in the primary home is 130. We just refinanced. So okay. we cashed out refinance. So that's why it's down to 130. Okay. And cash out refi, take advantage of low rates with the intention of buying more mm-hmm. real estate? Yeah, we have five rental properties and they are owned free and clear. Yay. And then um, as we looked around for the next down payment, we thought we get the cheapest money, which would be our primary money. That's why we did the cash out refinance with rates being so low. Yeah. Interesting. So let's walk through that uh, approach. You've got all these rentals paid for. Have you paid cash in most cases or just bought them with the down payment and aggressively paid them down? Oh, that's a great question. So since my first job back in 1998, I've always maxed out all my retirement savings uh, or retirement plans as well as made more than I spend. So before I got together with my husband, I had a pretty healthy gap between income and spending. And that has just been snowballing all these years without a purpose. Um, until we decided to start buying real estate. And so we bought, um, our first two properties were previously owned primary homes that I never sold. So I would move out of the house and keep the house as a rental. So that's how I got the first two. And then the third, fourth, and fifth, we bought with cash from savings. Some of that cash came from selling mutual funds, unfortunately. And, um, and we just, just snowballed the the former primary homes. We have two that had a mortgage, so we just snowballed those and just paid them off earlier this year. So now we're free and clear completely. Okay. And about how much are these properties, you know, worth? What, what was actually? Let me back up. What was? What did you pay for yeah. most of them? And then what have they grown to in in uh, in value? Yeah, so my previous primary homes, um, one was bought at 196000 and then I still own it. So that's the last mortgage I paid, which now it's worth 200 and no, it's worth like 300000 right now. And the second primary home before um, I moved overseas, we bought at 280000 It was a short sale, and um, it is now worth 
500,000. We actually sold it last year. So we made some cash out of that transaction. And then the three properties we bought expressly for cash flow were in the $150,000 range. And they're all valued about that now? They haven't changed much since I started really ramping up in 2018. But um, <clears throat> yeah, th- this is a cash flow play, so I'm I'm making cash flow out of them. I we make about 5,500 a month uh, gross rent, so we get to keep around half of that. Okay, wow. As you've accumulated these properties, are they all near where you are now, or are they spread out? No, they're in town. They're in the area. So they're all within, uh, I would say, a 40-minute drive of where I live. So you self-manage them all? I was self-managing management until last year. I finally decided that um, between homeschooling the boys and normal day-to-day stuff, I wanted to hand off the management on the property so I can continue buying rentals. So now I'm kind of looking for the next one to buy, and that's between that and homeschooling. That's all I want to do. I don't no longer want to be managing properties, so I've handed them all off. Yeah, and is the is the managing going pretty well? Any issues once you hired it out? <sighs> yeah, it's pretty good. I get you know I get the money in the mailbox, and if there is any um, you know any issues at all, I just get an FYI, and I'm I'm pretty good with that. Clearly, yeah. I'm paying, you know, I'm paying for the management, but I think it's a good trade-off. I'm starting to look into the lifestyle aspect of it. So, and what do they know. charge you? About ten percent or something? Eight to ten percent? Twelve percent? Yeah, they are doing eight percent. That's they good. Are doing, yeah, that's good. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I know five paid-for rentals. Good for you. Congrats. Thank you. Oh, you know what? I totally, totally forgot to tell you about my syndication. I am in two syndications as well. Multifamily? One is a multifamily syndication. I invest in a apartment complex. And um, the other one is a fund that is done in the local, the local RIA people have a fund and they are um, collecting the money in a fund to loan out to different um, flippers in the area. So it's all local. Oh, oh interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And how did you, how did you find those? So I found that out by starting to go to the RIAs and hanging out with the RIA people and seeing what they were doing. Um, and I just wanted to get closer to that community. So I found they had this fund open and I jumped in at the opportunity. Okay. That the, Both syndications are $50,000 syndications and they are just starting to send checks. <laughs> and how much do you get for those? So I actually have not gotten a check yet, but they are in the process because the quarter just closed, I guess. And um, so I should should get something in the next couple of weeks. Um, okay. My fund, my, one of the syndications sent a report that we had made 500 for the month, and the other one had a loss uh, at the first quarter. But this is the second quarter, so I will. I have yet to see what actually comes in. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned 5,500 in gross rents. Is that right for the five properties? Yes. Yes, that is about right. And yeah. you said you keep about half of that? Yeah, I just let it accumulate. So, in, and that's that's already in one of the cash funds that I told you about. And it's just kind of accumulating right now for any major uh, repairs that come up. Okay, so you're, you're cash flowing about 2750 So since you don't have a mortgage payment at all, the other 2750 is what? The property management and repairs? That's going to be, you know, I had one, you know, two months ago. So 
I'm still okay. trying to get used to I, I still don't know what is going to be coming in this year. So I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess you got your taxes and insurance and all that water mm-hmm. sewer and yeah. stuff like yeah. that as well. Yeah. yeah. And so you you guys have about over two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in cash. Yeah. What's your What's your plan with that to just to save that for another real estate purchase? Two hundred and thirty two. And so <laughs> we're getting a little shiny eye syndrome. We definitely want something that cash flow. Um, but we have looked into possibly an Airbnb, although I don't really want the hassle. Um, possibly another syndication or two, which I am scouting right now. And um, possibly another local multifamily. So a small multifamily building with a loan. So that might okay. be down money for a multi. Yeah. So walk us through one of the, you have the first two that you said are homes that you lived in and then you kept them and rented them out. And the other yeah. three are their sing, single family as well? So the other three is um, two single family homes and one duplex. Two oh. single family homes and one duplex. So is that four more units? So you have six units total? Yeah. So I okay. sold one of my primaries. Sorry. I okay. sold oh, one yeah, of my primaries and that. I kept the other one. Yeah. Okay, so one of these single-family homes, you buy it for how much? You told Jace, I think, like one ninety. Yeah, so one of them is worth one ninety, and I go by the fact that it's a duplex and it's getting about nine hundred and fifty in rents for either side. So I actually bought that one for a hundred and fifty. That was my duplex, about a hundred and fifty, and then clean up, put about ten thousand dollars in all cash. And then now they rent. The rent has gone up a little bit. We started at nine hundred, and now it's nine hundred and fifty. Wow, good for you. And what about yeah. the the homes? How much did the you buy those for? Home, Just- yeah, one of the homes I bought at a hundred from a wholesaler, and I put about thirty or forty thousand dollars on it. So that's that's what that valuation is. And the last one. I bought, I want to say I bought it for a hundred and I put a ton of money into that, like 45 because I needed That's everything. That's a lot. Yeah. You're putting that in is a lot. 40% yeah. of the value and what do they rent yeah. for? So those, those were my like beginner, you know, renovation mistakes. I am in charge of everything and they, and actually those are not doing badly. The, so I'm all in about 150 for both. And one is, uh, oh my gosh, one is valued at around 200, 215, if I don't, if I remember exactly. The other one, the, um, the last one, the records say that it's valued at 95,000, but in truth, I think it's, it's worth more. They're, I don't and know why. What is it, what is it rent for? That one rents for 1450. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and and then the other one that I put a hundred, you know, that I bought at a hundred and ten, and I added, I think that one is renting for thirteen fifty. I want to say. Okay, so do you have any landlord horror stories? Anything bad happened to you? Actually, yeah, the property that is supposedly valued at ninety something thousand, which really isn't, it's just in a crappy, crappy street. But um, that one, when we got, I did the leasing myself for that one, and it was when COVID began, so I was wearing a mask and everything. Um, I rented it to a couple of brothers, the four bedroom in a, I guess a C neighborhood. Rented to a couple of of brothers. And then on the third month, we had an issue with the air conditioner draining 
So I guess there was a pipe that was supposed to go to the outside, but there's like a pump in the closet. And because of the construction and all the dust, it had clogged. So it had been doing a slow leak inside the walls. So yes, that was very expensive. Mm. I had to, I had to put a claim for that one. It cost me, I want to say it cost me like, oh my gosh, $2,500 with my two deductibles. But the actual thing itself was like, yeah, 20,000, 30,000. They opened walls. They opened walls. They put equipment to dry things. It was really, I felt so bad for my tenants because they were new to the place three months in and they yeah. are now living in, <laughs> they had plastic <laughs> partitions and fan, loud fans at all hours. I just felt so bad. Yeah. But um, wow. for some reason, I, did, I didn't have to do a hotel. Like it, it wasn't that bad and they were, they were fine with it. So I'm like, oh my gosh. This is, so I paid their uh, electricity bill <laughs> just in case. Well, it's good that you had that insurance coverage, most of it, too. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. And they, my rates did not go up. What a miracle. Wow. But yeah, good. that's my worst. My worst. And then that same tenant wasn't paying on time, and it just got worse and worse and worse. So we finally got him out. They Ooh. just left. Ooh. Yeah. So you have about 128000 in home equity. How much is your paid off? Is your homework? So my primary home we bought in 2017 when we got back from abroad, and it was 416. And so we had a four percent mortgage. And um, doing all this mortgage craze where the rates were going down, I was holding. I was holding. I don't like that. I was like, I didn't want to restart the clock. But I finally refinanced. When was it? I think it was last late last year I refinanced and now I have a rate of 3.1 but it was a cash out refinance and I was able to cash out about a hundred grand hundred and something 120 130 I want to say so that got added to my cash fund for the next purchase so it's interesting you've taken this approach to have debt on the mortgage or on your primary but everything is is paid off elsewhere, even though a couple of those properties were previous previous primary residences. Why have you chosen that? Yeah, that makes no sense. It would be backwards. I would want to put the rentals at risk and not my own. Um, the reason I did it was because the primary debt it was the cheapest money that I could get. And that, that's basically what it boils down to. I don't like, I don't like having debt and I plan to pay off this mortgage as quickly as I can. We're going to start, you know, you know, at, th- at almost three million, I think we're going to be able to retire pretty soon and start, you know, withdrawing, starting the withdrawal phase. And by then I want to make sure that's paid off, but I just wanted it for the short term to have a big pocket of money so that I can buy more cash flow so that I can snowball my primary home. So I don't intend to keep the 30 year mortgage. Mm, totally. So when is that, uh, when is that so retirement going to be for you? So my husband works at W2. I, I don't actually, I haven't worked since I started having kids, but, um, my husband's W2. He still has it and he wants to, he, I think he has one more year syndrome right now because I think we could do it between the cash flow and the, you know, withdrawals from our portfolio. I think we could do it at our current expenses, which are about, I think we spent about 72,000. Well, we spend less than that, but I wanted to add padding to it. So around 72,000 a year. So we are, um, have a tentative date of late, late next year. So the end of 2023. 
Wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Is that something you set out to do, you know, a decade or, you know, two decades ago even? Absolutely. That's the, uh, absolutely not. That's the goal we set in 2017 when we got really intentional about all of this. Just like I told you, we've always had savings. We've always had a good gap between spending and income. But we just kind of got really, really intentional and clear on what we wanted. So we could retire now, but I think we want to pad the accounts a little bit more. Gotcha. What uh, role does your money in the in the markets play in this whole plan? So most of the pre-tax, taxable, and Roth is invested in total market, you know, mutual fund, index funds, with a little bit of international mixed in. I think it's a very small amount of international. Um, we used to have some bonds in the pre-tax, but back in March of 2020, when the market took a nosedive. Um, we rebalanced by just going all in on equities. Uh, we sold the bond, got equities, and now it's all recovered. And we've we've maintained that 100% equity uh, because we feel like the rental income is our bond. It acts like a bond. It provides that constant cash flow. So, Inter- interesting. So, and and those obviously that are tax advantage, you don't plan on touching those until retirement age, right? So, the idea was to do a three or four percent withdrawal, starting with our taxable money. We are going to take our income down to zero, well, as, as low as we can with well zero with the W two, but then we have rental income, and then start using our taxable funds to live on. Plus do Roth conversion. So move some of that $881,000 to Roth at a very low uh, percentage as quickly as we can. Um, that's the plan. Taxable has 825 right now, including the money that we're going to use for the next property. But I think that's a pretty big pocket. Yeah, totally. So the Roth conversions, I mean, how many years do you expect to, to, to do those? I know it's talked about, you know, it's thrown around here and there, but I don't know a ton of people that have okay. gotten to that point to do it. What is your plan with the Roth conversions as you move into this next phase? Um, so I'm 46 and my husband is 48. So we have, I think I said, 23 years to, for the conversions for his, uh, his IRA accounts. Um, the plan is to move as much as we can while living on the taxable. So we're going to have, obviously, we're going to have real estate cash flow. So that'll be the first money coming in. Whatever we still need is going to come out of that taxable bucket um, to fulfill our spending. And then we'll see at the end of the year how much room there is in the marginal tax bracket to do the conversion. Does that make sense? So... Yeah, yeah. I might follow you. I might fill the twelve bucket, and if that's full, I might consider filling the next bucket as well, because it is the general sentiment that income taxes will probably start rising at some point. So I mean, they're they're as low as they're going to be now. So we want to move as much as we can, and if it doesn't all move, that's okay. I mean, we can plan around RMBs when we get to that point. I'm not. Super worried. I want to move as much as I can, but RMDs are fine. It's like some pre-tax money is, is going to be fine. I'm not. I don't consider that a failure. Yeah. And then the so, last money is the last money we touch, obviously. Right. Right. So, Ine, let me back up a little bit. Let's get into your story a little bit. You said you didn't. 
you haven't worked outside the home since you had children. What did you do? And give us a little background on you, who you are and your story. Yeah, I went to school for economics. I have a master's in economics and I joined, like, I've been working for Fortune 500 companies. So I worked for Cisco and they were doing stock options. And then I worked for, in 2000, I worked for Sony. I worked for T-Mobile. So they're all big companies and I was doing uh, sales, sales support, sales ops, and eventually worked up to sales management. And that was my last position was in sales management. And um, I lost that job with the Great Recession. So at that point, I was eight months pregnant with my first child. And I just haven't, oh, wow. we really haven't thought about me going back to work. Um, yeah. My husband failed. So he's been holding down the fort for the longest time. Well, congrats on your success. I mean, you've obviously done amazingly well. So it's fun. It's fun to talk and we're happy to have you on. So thank you. No, no. Thank you. Of course. So your husband's in sales, you were in, in econ, mm-hmm. and we, we, we talked a little bit about before the show that you felt like you got more intentional about your, what, saving, investing, we'll call it, in the last five years or so. Is that correct? Yes. In the last five years or so, um, I heard about financial independence. I've always been curious about cash flow rentals. And by the time I came back to the U.S., I already had moved twice and kept my previous home. So that's what started me with rentals. But then when I came back, we got more intentional and just we got goals. I think that's what the difference was, is that before we just had way more income than expenses. But all the money was going, I don't know where, I guess it was landing on the taxable account. We just kind of didn't think about it. Um, But when we got moved back into the U.S., it was all about it. It was it was so much so that I made it temporarily uncomfortable. So we never been on a budget, but um, the paychecks arrived to the brokerage account. And then I drew a small portion, which I thought would fill our, you know, our needs. So that's what we did. And we kind of live with artificial scarcity, if, if that's the thing. We just kind of made it so that we don't have all this extra money that we we get to spend. So we kind of got lean on our budget, if that's a thing. And the money just built up and we just started buying houses. Well, you obviously did well before the last five years because now you're at almost $3 million. So you you obviously were intentional in a good way. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've... I've never really paid attention, especially after um, the Great Recession when I started having, I have three kids now, so that's not where my mind was, but I have always had a bigger salary than my expenses, and that's that's always been the same. Since the first job I got, I put 20%. Oh, here's here's one thing that really started everything. Back when I got my first job, I noticed the HR website had the compound interest calculator. And that really made an impression on me. Right then I knew that, that that compound interest, how it works and how it builds up over time. So I guess, you know, I always put money in the market since since the beginning, since I was in my 20s. Wow. Never, so what I never really it? had a point for it. There wasn't an objective that I was trying to get at. I just put the extra money in the market. And it really does build up over time. Yeah. So you said three kids. I don't know. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know how old. There, but how do you teach them about money, and how are you taught about money, if at all, in your upbringing? Um, I think I think in my upbringing, my father, my mom was really into academics, and she always worked. 
She always had a professional job. Yeah, I remember my parents just being very diligent, very hard at work. My father, though, he was very entrepreneurial, but he never told us anything about it. So he could be making lots of money or he could be losing lots of money. And our lifestyle was always the same, which is a lesson that I took. Like, no matter what happens, your lifestyle should be no lifestyle free, basically. He kept us at a very, um, I don't know, basic level. All our needs were met. We had vacation money, but we never went out and buy boats and expensive cars or or fancy clothes. So sometimes he would be making lots of money. Sometimes he would be losing lots of money. And we had no idea. Um, mm. How am I teaching my kids about money? My oldest, he was born in 2009 with the Great Recession. He likes to read. So we have read uh, books about the Bogleheads. And uh, we have re- we have had him read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I have a book of quotes from Bogle, uh, Jack Bogle, which he reads and... <laughs> you're getting you're getting him started on personal finance early. Absolutely, he's he's involved. He he has been talking. We talk at the dinner table. Um, well, actually, they all do. My other ones are smaller, so they're maybe they're not catching all of it. But um, they know I like to talk about money at the table, <laughs> and we talk about our investments and what should we do with this and what should we do with that. And basically, at this level, they're very young, so I want them to know. That that life is about choices. You yeah. can do it all. The, you can do all the things. You have to. You have to figure out what you want to do, and when you do it, that means you're not doing something else. And the same is true with money. Money is just a tool. So yeah. as as he grows up, I'm going to give him the richest man in Babylon to read. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he knows all about financial independence. Awesome. Good for you guys. Do your friends and family know that you're wealthy? You have almost three million dollars. No, I don't really talk specifics with anybody at all. My friends know I like to talk about investments. And if anybody has a question on money, budgeting, personal finance, or real estate, usually they come to me. So like I, I put a post about what would you say that's one thing that I do very well. And most everybody said that I know how to invest. Like they would come for advice on investing and some people have, and I have helped people with their plan, which is very personal. So one of my friends has a goal of having $1 million in 10 years. And I just kind of broke it down for her, what that would mean and what what the trade-off she might need to do in her daily life based on her plan. And then I just say, yep, that's, you know, what you do with this is yours. Um, and I have helped another person that has debt. And I just kind of told her about the snowball method. I gave her my David Ramsey copy <laughs> of his book to read. Um, so, yeah, yeah, my friends m- maybe suspect something because I talk about retirement and early retirement, but they don't know the details. But they, yeah, good yeah. for you. Good for you. Yeah. Anna. That's really neat. So what motivates you now? Is it to increase the passive income? Is it to get to a certain net worth? What drives you now? I am all about the passive income, honestly. And making at this point, I want to start simplifying my life. That's that's what changed in the last year, I think, with COVID. I just want to start enjoying the fruits, start let go of the gas a little bit. I am I feel like I can coast the rest of the way and I can start going on vacations and just going to Europe with everybody for a month. Um, I'd like to slow travel and just start doing the things we value, spending 
time with the people that we want, fly and visit and go camping trips with friends. And that's really what what life is going to be looking like. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Has the money brought you happiness? No. (laughs) My (laughs) My friend that wants to have a million dollars said, I think if I had a million dollars, I would be happy. And I was telling her that, no, if you, you know, find what makes you happy now, because, you know, I guess having some money helps because you're not worried about money all the time. But once you're past that level, really the things that make me happy don't cost a lot of money. Going to the library, going to the park, meeting with friends, having a beer. These things don't cost a lot of money. So what really matters is the people that you're doing those things with. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So let me uh, jump into some rapid fire questions here and then we'll wrap up with some final words of advice and and mistakes, if at all. So um, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Shoot, I am almost 46 now and I want to say, I want to say 44. No, no, it was, gosh, I don't know, 43. I wasn't looking, honestly. All right. So young 40s, but that means the second and almost the third came in the last few years here pretty quick. Yes, it was. And that is... There's a reason for that. Uh, my husband's company was bought out and all his stock options suddenly were worth more. So we did get a windfall at the end. So that took us to the second million. Okay. And did you cash those out or you're still holding on to some? We didn't have a choice. They gave us a chunk of money suddenly. Okay. I think it was okay. like 800 and something thousand. And some of that money went to taxes, obviously. Um, this is a really painful tax bill. And then some of that went to buy one of the properties. <laughs> one of the cash properties was bought with that money. Yeah, that's pro- that is a painful tax bill. So yeah, I got, I got to the second million right away. So it was we were almost uh, at the second, and that just put us over the edge. Awesome, good for you guys. Okay, um, what's been the most expensive car you ever purchased, give or take? Oh yes, I know. It was ages ago. I bought, this is my only new car that I've ever owned. It was a Mazda Protégé 2001. Super nice. With cloth seats. And How much? Yeah. It was about 20000 when it was all said and done. Okay. Have you ever used a financial advisor? No. I have used Fidelity. I, I guess I'm in a level that they kind of assign me somebody if I need to talk to somebody. So I have checked. I have uh, run my retirement plan through this person. And they did offer managed services, but I, I politely turned them down. Okay. Um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your household range of income through your work in life? So my first job, oh my gosh, eight years ago, nineteen ninety eight, I was making about thirty five and that's Silicon Valley. So that was I guess an entry level salary back then. And my highest salary personally was about a hundred and forty-eight thousand as a sales manager for a large. Good for company. you. Good for yeah. you. That's good income. Okay, um, we got a listener question here. How many books a year do you read, and how much time do you spend watching TV? Oh my gosh, I do not watch TV. I sometimes will get hooked on a TV show, and then we will binge. Right now, we're going through billions, but it's taking us months because because I don't watch TV, so I'm never around for it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, books, I love nonfiction. Love, love, love. And at certain stages in my life, I read more than others, um, but I'm making a push. I'm trying to read more classic fiction, especially now with homeschooling. I'm trying to um, read more classic. Dostoevsky and stuff like that. Some thicker, 
heavier books that are not fi- uh, that that are fiction. Yeah. Yeah. What books do you recommend? I love anything by the Russian novelist. So Anna Karenina was my first Russian, and I really like it. It's 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 a story, but it's set in Russia, and it talks so much about the income inequality, the the situation with the with the serf, how they distribute resources. It's so interesting. I I can't even tell you. Um, I recommend that one. And what else? I recently read the picture of Dorian Gray, which was kind of fun. And Kafka's Metamorphosis is very short and very fun as well. Awesome. So just in closing, Ine, what would be your advice to somebody who's just starting off? Or if you made some mistakes, what mistakes would you caution against? Hmm. I would start by staying out of debt as much as you can. And don't let that lifestyle creep, I guess, creep up. (laughs) Buying assets is always, always a good idea. I understand in the beginning, just staying out of debt and think about what your profession, your income level is going to be. And maybe if if you are not having a good gap between your income and your spending, maybe look into repositioning for a new career or just changing your basic expenses. I don't really like budgeting. So I would say like put 20% away, don't even look at it. If you can do that, you don't need to worry much more than that as far as budgeting. Just put 20% out of your mind, live on the rest. If this is super hard, then maybe retrain for a different job. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ine. Thanks for coming on. Net worth of 2.9 million. Really appreciate it. We got we get a few emails every now and then that say, hey, we need you need more women on your show. So we're trying to do our best. So if there are women listeners, please come on because there, there are a lot of women listeners, at least a few that write in and say, hey, have more women on the show. So thanks, Ine, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Great story, net worth of 2.9 million. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. It's super awesome to be on the show. Thanks, Ine. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.